This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Sarah Schmidt, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you so much for having me. So Sarah is a Melbourne-based writer who works as a librarian in a public library. Her debut novel, See What I Have Done, was internationally acclaimed. It was long-listed for the Women's Prize for Fiction in 2018 and the Dublin Literary Award in 2019. Here in Australia, it won the Arbia Literary Fiction Award and the MUD Literary Award of 2018 also. Um, She was also shortlisted for a number of other prizes, which is so extraordinary. (laughs) It's very exciting. It was a, and a shock as well, I will yeah, say. But yes, right. very nice. Well done, you. Thank you. Um, she has now written her eagerly awaited second novel, Blue Hour, which explores the fractured relationships between mothers and daughters and how grief and trauma can reach down generations. It's a beautiful cover too, by the way. That's it really book. is. Yeah, yeah, no, I was quite happy to see that cover come through. I'm like, yes, yeah, I, yeah. I feel like that sums up a certain something about mm, it yeah definitely so you work as a librarian I do did you kind of think that that's what you're going to be and then at what stage did you think that because they are closely related I guess mm. but at what stage did you think maybe you'd like to write as well I I think it's kind of almost in a reverse type of thing. I ever since I was like a very small child, I think I annoyed my parents to death by always making like standing in front of them and making up stories and you know kind of just going talking talking talking, which I think is a wonderful thing, but I don't know if they <laughs> if they necessarily thought it was that. So I I've always wanted to be a writer. I've always done it in some kind of form. And so by the time I think I got to, you know, high school and you know, your teachers ask you, what do you want to do after school? I'm like, mm, I just want to write books. But I don't think I understood what that actually meant. I just thought, you know, you just bang, you know, bang one out. <laughs> That's how it happens. But it doesn't work like that, Cheryl. No, um, and so, no. no, it does not. And so, um, yeah, I think I just, I, I went to uni, I did, I studied writing and then time goes on and I'm, you know, that's all I did. And I just, I had all different kinds of jobs, worked for a university and all that kind of stuff. But it wasn't until I had my daughter that I think something kind of kicked in and I thought, oh no, I don't know if I'm qualified to do anything. I don't know. I just had this kind of panic moment, I think. And so I thought, actually, I I love public libraries and uh, I would always use them. And I just thought maybe there's something in that where I could be around books or just the, the community. Um, and so I, I did my librarianship and then, um, yeah, I became a lead, uh, somehow became a reading literacy coordinator. So kind of it ended up being a nice little gelling moment. But yeah, the writing came before all of that. And, and now I get to kind of work with authors in a different way and do a lot of uh, 
you know, book recommendations for people and, you know, being able to be in that way. So I, I love it. It's really great. Mm. My career started off in a library. I actually mm. thought I wanted to be a teacher oh. and I went to teacher's college, early childhood. And, uh, one of my lecturers came for a prac, you know, how they used, well, oh, they used yes. to come, and I'm sure they still do that, yeah. assess uh, how good you are in the classroom. She took me aside afterwards and she said, mm, you might want to rethink <laughs> this <laughs> because um, I'm not sure you like kids all that much. I thought, yeah, actually, I don't like them at all. Um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's a key thing that yeah, you, you need to have should that. like children. <laughs> and she said, I know you like reading and there's a library upstairs or a bookshop upstairs, I can't remember, in the building. Why don't you go and get a summer job there? Mm. And that is where my career started. So I started there. Then yep. I went to work at Marrickville Library, which I loved. And do you know how libraries used to, do they still do that, specialise in a Dewey decimal number? So it was art. Oh, it's a controversial thing to talk about Dewey. Uh, yes and no. I think we we still use kind of more of a hybrid of, um, I know in my library service, we do use Dewey and I've studied Dewey. I can't remember it. And we have it for maybe more like the non-fiction-y type of things. And then um, we then we tend to move uh, towards more of the bookshop method of doing things for like the oh, general that collection. Right? Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's just, it would be like in, um, you know, crime or uh, romance. So yeah, we kind of do that. So I don't because know. Some... How would you find things in nonfiction if you weren't using Dewey? You'd yeah. You'd have to be using something, wouldn't you? Yeah, you do. I mean, obviously Dewey uh, can be very helpful. Uh, we tend to use, uh, I guess, maybe two classifications. So there'll be like the art section. So you'll go to art and then you've got your, mm-hmm. you know, your going in that way yeah. too. But like some people I work with, they're amazing. They've been doing this for a really long time. We go, oh, I need to find whatever it is. And they're like, oh, that's in the nines. I'm like, how How do you know? But I guess if you're around. Um, oh, I could tell. I still remember. The time. The- what is the nines? I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is what is that- the nines? The 600s is cooking. Okay. The 100 is uh, psychology, mm. I think. I mean, I'm sure we'll get some people writing in. I think <laughs> art is 750, Jeez. around 700. Is I it? feel like, I mean, it could be. And then I feel like nine Nines. could be. Can't could be. I want to say religion, but it's not. No, I it's think it's really that's not. Up near the hundred, yeah, two hundred, three hundred. But anyway, I do like. I didn't realize that that was fading out. Maybe, I mean, that might just be in some. Like, I think very much if you're in an academic library, then it's very still very much right. doing that classification and stuff. But um, I don't know. It's interesting that you mentioned psychology because for a very short time, actually, I still think about these two. I'm like, oh, I think I'd really like to be a psychologist and maybe a union analyst even. I just wow. love people's minds. So, yeah, I would do that too. Yeah, well, you're in the right profession if you love mm. people's minds because fiction so. writers play with people's minds, don't they? <laughs> they really do. They really like to play with people's emotions. I know I do. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, maybe yeah, not definitely. in real life, but <laughs> kind of just in that life. But, yeah, I don't know. I think it's interesting how we come to things like for you obviously you had thought oh well I'll be a teacher but then you you come into libraries in a, such a different way which is now obviously led on to you having a podcast talking Wait, about yes. books to authors yes oh look I, I feel very lucky I've been in the book industry for over 30 years now so better mm. reading is is not just a podcast we've also got a Facebook page yeah of over 320,000 users we've got a weekly newsletter that goes out to 75,000 people so what it is it's this wonderful book community that is yeah. just looking for recommendations and I mean I guess similar to a library often yeah. our comments are oh thank you Cheryl I've added it to the library list oh thank you Cheryl it's on reserve 
for me at the library. So a lot yeah. of readers, our readers, they either buy books or they borrow books, you know. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think libraries are fabulous. Very recently, I went into a public library here in Sydney. I can't remember why. I think it was an event or something. And it was around HSC time, exam mm. time. I saw just tables and tables of kids sitting there studying for their HSC out of hours, like it was like seven o'clock or eight o'clock at night. It really warmed my heart that people trust a library so much that they do that. Yeah, it's really beautiful. I think the thing about libraries, um, this, and they they mean different things to different people, obviously, but I think at the heart of everything it's a community hub in so it many is. ways and it's and the the beautiful thing about public libraries in particular I feel is that they are for everybody and you can I don't know it's just so nice to be around I mean obviously not everything's amazing no. <laughs> with libraries you kind of even as a user of a library myself you go into and um, you'll run into something a bit dodgy or something but you go oh well that's just that but it's not always like that I guess it's just it's more they're very inviting spaces you can form a community there I know when I had my daughter really early on I had moved to a place I um just outside of Melbourne one of the suburbs and I didn't know anyone there and my gut instinct was to say oh I'll just go to the library mm-hmm. and I went there and then you do a story time and then mm-hmm. you get to meet the librarian who does the story time she's now this person I'm thinking of is now one of my colleagues but it was just it was so nice that there was a place to go to and I, I think a lot of the time in in you know the way that we kind of live we don't always have a place to go mm-hmm. to so it's really beautiful I could talk about I should probably do this devote a couple of podcasts to libraries because oh, you I should could, yeah. yeah because even when I travel I, I was just very recently I was in San Francisco and I walked into the one of the public libraries there and it was almost identical to a library in Sydney where the first tier is you've got that open space where a lot of older people are reading the newspaper and catching up on the news of yeah. the day and then you go deeper into the library and there are people, you know, seriously looking for books. And then you go deeper into the library and there's kids studying. Like it just caters for just about everybody. But also too, I remember a time, and I don't know where I was in my career, where people were saying, oh, it's the death of the library. You know, the library's gone because technology's come in and people have moved on. But I tell you what, libraries have pivoted so much. They are so relevant. They really Uh, are. That did not happen, thank goodness. No, and I think people only ever think of libraries. I I think it's actually telling. If you are someone who just thinks libraries are just about books, Mm. uh, we are obviously, but I'm like, you haven't stepped in one for a very long time because libraries, uh, we we do tech help. We do Mm. we do so many things. We um, we're running programs all the time. Mm. Um, they're places for people to come and learn English or a different language if they want to. We often are not when government services. um, either shut other th- other things down or whatever, we often have to step in and help the community. Uh, every time like the government might have a, a service that they put online, there's, they're not always thinking about one, can people actually access this from their home? And, and, and a lot of the times they can't. So mm-hmm. they'll need to come into the library to work on a computer or ask for help. And I think that's the other thing too. Not a lot of people have a massive grasp of digital literacy. And so that's where libraries come into that. So we're so multifaceted. Oh, I don't think you can ever get rid of us, which and is a community hubs. That's what yeah. they are. As I said, I could do a whole podcast on my love of libraries, <laughs> but I, that's not why we're here. Sarah, talk to me about when you finally decided to write your first fiction. Had you mm. been at it for a long time or 
was it like, okay, this is it. I'm going to take myself seriously now and I'm going to write a book. Yeah, I think I'd started off, I actually didn't know I was ever going to do be a novelist, I guess. What I wanted to be was a screenwriter. And mm. I kind of, I for a short time um, in my teen years, I thought, oh, I'm going to be an actor. Yeah. And I'll write my own things and I'll star, I'll direct things. And then it became very apparent to me uh, that actually what I really like to do, and I guess the thing about performance in general was the people and the characters that you could kind of play around. So I think the storytelling. Yeah. So I thought, okay, well, maybe screenwriting is my thing. Then I went to uni and it was, I think it was that kind of, I mean, I would write short stories, you know, throughout high school and that stuff, but it wasn't anything, wasn't good. Um, but I kept having these kind of ideas that I just didn't know what to do with. And I was very naive. Um, and maybe that was a good thing because I think I had no idea what to do. And so I think not knowing something actually allows you to develop the thing that you truly want to do. And so I think it wasn't until maybe I left high school and then I started my degree, I thought, oh, because you meet other people and you go, oh, you take it seriously. And I do too, but not like you do. And so I just thought, oh, I, I need to lift my game. Anyway, I kind of failed a couple of subjects <laughs> at uni as one does. And uh, I, I failed out of screenwriting because I don't know what I was doing. And it meant I couldn't go on to the next, I think I'd failed a history subject and it meant I couldn't do another screenwriting unit. And so I thought, oh God, I'm at a crossroads. What does one do? So there was a little pocket of time I had to fill up with my degree. And there was a poet who was one of my tutors and she said, oh, you should do this little project group thing that I'm doing. You can do whatever you want. We mostly do poetry. And so that was like a gateway drug for me. And so I went and I tried my hand at poetry and she actually said to me, she goes, listen, you're not a poet. (laughs) (laughs) But I think you're 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 a novelist in disguise. That's the thing you should do. And so I think that was the first time it occurred to me that I could maybe do something with these ideas that I kind of had. And so I think that's when I started. I would just write all the time, and I started writing a novel. I, it's, I'm embarrassed to say, started writing a novel about the Hollywood blacklist because I'm like, yeah, I'm going to write about communists who act, and you know, <laughs> then they get like, I don't know. I was very young, so I started working on this. Cause- Driven. <laughs> yes, I was yes. very cause driven. Um, and I thought, and it just wasn't coming at all. And I'm like, there's something wrong. And I, I realized, and the key is, you know, you actually have to be, I mean, I was passionate about this, but I'm like, no, you need to be actually passionate about something and you need to feel the thing that you want to write. And so I was very lucky that one day I, um, I have very vivid dreams. And so I was very lucky that one day a certain Lizzie Borden came to visit me in my dreams one night. And I think that was once that kind of came into my system, um, that's when I just started going, that is all I'm going to do. I'm just going to dedicate my life to making things up and in this way. And I'm so grateful she came to me. I hated it at the time, but yeah, that's how it kind of started. So I think the moral of the story here is fail, fail well, and then find your passion. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. From what you've just told me, your passion mm. was really short form. I mean, writing a script, there's just yeah. so few words in scripts. I never yeah. can you know, work that out. I, I'm yeah. always wondering where the fluff is, but the fluff is the people when you, yeah. you know, you bring it to life. And poetry, of course, very few words. Mm. So you then, did you have to learn how to write long form or how did you approach writing a novel? In hindsight, I could see that actually maybe short form wasn't anything I was particularly good at because I think once I start figuring out, oh, the story is this, I then want to naturally just go and explore I'm fascinated by people. And so I think in terms of novels, I am always character driven first. Like plot, I'm very quite bad at. That comes kind of later, if at all. And it's almost like, so I guess that's what screenwriting was for me. I'm like, I am fascinated by people. I want to understand how they work. I love dialogue. I love the way people do and don't talk to each other. And so I think for novel writing, it's like, oh, well, then you can just play with these people for a really long period of time. And then hopefully the story that they want to do comes out that way. And I think I've always just really liked, now this is going to sound bad. I like the idea of trapping people in, in when they can't get out. And so I think novels are amazing for that because I don't know how you go with this, Cheryl, but um, up until recently, I, and if I don't like a novel, I will just walk away from it. But up until then, like I would, I would just stay in that world in the book, even if I hated it and just keep going. And so I kind of liked the idea that that's what a reader would have to do as well. Like you're stuck with these people now and I'm just going to show you all mm. the interesting things about them and, you know, do that way. So I don't know. I think I can't imagine going back to a shorter form now because I don't, I just can't, I can't get my brain to go that way. And I've really tried and maybe I've had one or two uh, short stories that have gone, oh, that's easy. Well, I think, um, but every time I go in to sit down and write a novel, the, it's I always go, I don't know how to do this. I don't mm. know how to do it because every project's different. You had tremendous success with your first. It's not easy to launch your first novel. No. See what I have done. How did you go about publication? How did that come to you? So, so the book in total took me 11 years to write. So it wasn't. Yeah, well, and, um, so you're not a fast writer. No, <laughs> um, that's a very sore point for me. Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I really am not. I think it actually speaks to how do you go about writing a novel because I had no idea. And so mm-hmm. I started working on it, and then like I did, I reckon I would have done well over twenty drafts for the, see what I've done, to the point where I'm like, this is all like it is awful. Like how do you even how do I just, I don't know, at one stage, how do words form? But I'd started this novel and I didn't really know what to do with it. And then I worked at RMIT for the student union and I was a student rights advocate because maybe I wanted to be a social worker at one stage too. Thank goodness I didn't. I don't think I'm cut out for that work at all. But we had been made redundant um, thanks to Howard. And so I'm like, oh, I've actually always wanted to do my master's. And so in that project that I do, you you write a novel. So I, I had this um, novel that I was maybe working on. And I, I did my study at RMIT and the supervisor that I had, he was actually really supportive. And he kind of said to me at one stage, oh, you know, I think you have some promise. Um, thank you. <laughs> and he goes, I think you've got some promise, but you're a bit lazy. And he made me work even harder. And then we used to get publishers come to our 
class and we would we would get the opportunity to pitch to them and every now and then I would pitch and then like mm, I don't think so and I'm like oh okay okay I've got to work on that but I I can't pitch at all but throughout that process I think it made me kind of start honing in on what was it about this story that was most interesting and anyway time went on all my the people around me were getting published and I was so happy for them but I'm like oh this is never going to happen to me and I had entered in a few things like I think I entered the Vogel one time Mm -hmm. I had entered there was a few I'd submitted somewhere around there's a banjo prize there's quite a few around I think are terrific for uh, first writers it's a good path to publication and I think people need goals and so that Mm. was my goal and then I just nothing ever happened and then I was speaking to that same supervisor at a pub one time and I was complaining about I'm not complaining. I'm just like, oh, I think I don't know what to do with this novel. Like I'm done. Like I don't know what to do with it. And he said, oh, maybe if you get your submission right and stuff, he goes, I think I know someone who might like it. And it was Fiona Inglis at Curtis Brown. And it was his agent, agent at the time. Yeah. And so Go he big. didn't yeah, he did an <laughs> introduction letter and yeah. I sent my stuff off. Cheryl, she did not like it. Right, and that's okay. okay. But she said, yeah. oh, I think one of my colleagues might like it. Yeah. And and sure enough, the wonderful Pippa did. And so, oh, wow. so she yeah. got into it. And then after that, I feel like it happened very quickly. Um, there was a US agent was brought in to help kind of sell it. So I it went from, I still think this sometimes I'm the worst writer of all time. I'm really lazy, but I've worked really hard on this thing. Maybe I have something. And then the next thing I knew, they were trying to sell it everywhere. And it was a shock. And I don't think I've ever gotten over it. Um, even though that was, it feels like such a long time ago. That's how it started. Not just a shock that it got published, but also that it was shortlisted for all these prizes. I mean, I these are, they're very big prizes. They are. And I, yeah. I, I think if I was to be like, I just... I was very overwhelmed to the point where I found it debilitating after a Mm. while. Like I just, because I thought, because I I was very lucky when I signed with Hachette in Australia for this, I got a a two-book deal. And uh, Robert Watkins at the time who bought the book when I was there, the the first one, he said, oh, are you working on a second novel? The answer is always yes, yes. Of course I am. (laughs) Of course I am. (laughs) I'd thought about Blue Hour. I didn't know it was going to be called Blue Hour, but I'd had a little inkling that I might, there was yeah. uh, some characters I wanted to work with. Yeah. But yes, I said, yes, absolutely. But I didn't even think past, I, I just thought, oh, isn't this amazing? I'm getting published. This thing I wanted ever since I was a little girl, I it's coming, it's happening. And then something different happened to the book. And I, I thought, I can't write again because... I think I felt a lot of expectation and I also had something, an expectation of myself as well, which was I don't want to just be be known as that person who at one stage wrote this kind of gothic I mean, I, I love gothic, right, so I'll always do that. But, oh, she just writes about this weird murder and, you know, all this stuff. I wanted to show that actually, no, I've got there's other things I'd like to say about the world or there's more depth. One always hopes you have more depth, but yeah, so a depth, I said death. Ooh, (laughs) that's a Freudian slip. Um, There's always death inside. Um, And so, yeah, I felt pressure and I think it was more self-pressure to prove myself. Actually, I'm beyond that. Hopefully. I've got to say, um, you know, and I don't know you, Professor, the guy in the pub Mm. who gave you the lead, but I think anybody that works full time and writes is not lazy. Mm. I mean, I can barely just work full time and I don't yeah. write. It's yeah. challenging. It is challenging. I think what he meant with the laziness was more about 
because he knew I worked like really hard. I think what he meant was as a craft, can you push yourself more? Don't take the easy way out. And I understood what he meant by that. And I, I think he just like, don't choose the easy option. I like to think of myself as someone who doesn't always choose the easy option anyway, for better or worse. Uh, and so that really stuck with me. And even writing Blue Hour, there'd be moments where I was just writing and I would, after a, you know, a draft or two, I'm like, this paragraph is feels lazy. Why does it feel lazy? And I'd kind of go through and go, oh, it's because I've chosen the easy way. I don't like this. And so you'd kind of scrap it all and, and, and make yourself work harder. Did you find it easier writing a second book? No. No, I I mean, very few authors find it easy. Mm. They all say it's difficult every single time. I all kept thinking, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm. But I I think a couple of things happened. One was because this book is, for me anyway, was quite different um, and in tone and all that kind of stuff. I, I knew that whatever this was, it was going to be very different. And I wanted it to be different, even though there is still... There are themes I always come back to because I love it. I love dysfunctional families. I love all that kind of stuff. But this one just wasn't easy because I didn't know. Oh, it's almost like I can't even talk about how hard it was in some things. I, there's a lot about this book is very personal to me. Mm -hmm. um, And I was going through some things. And I think what I realized after one time is like, I need to write about something and I'm running away from it. And as soon as I decided, okay, I'm just going to be as honest as I can be about my feelings about particular parts of motherhood, different um, relationships that you can have with a family in your life, confronting traumas of your own past, like all of this stuff, I thought, okay, I I need to exercise these from my body. And I, I want to do it with through art because I think art can be so healing. And so once I started kind of just pouring myself into it, two things happened. One, I've never felt more creatively free in my entire life. Like I felt like, don't be coy about things anymore. Just say the thing, just say it. And Mm. that made some things easier, but because I was saying it, I'm like, I feel such shame. I feel like I can't say this out loud. And even though after a stage, this just became my characters. It wasn't anything to do with me anymore. Um, and there's a clear separation between what my characters go through and what I was going through at the time. It became this thing like, I can't, I can't unleash this on the public. I can't hand, I can't hand it into my publisher. And so I didn't for a really long time. They're like, where's the book? I'm like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I just couldn't, I could not do it. It was very confronting. Mm. It's, mm. it's interesting, isn't it, when you, when a story comes from a certain place. Uh, it's a beautiful book. Um, it's called Blue Hour. Sarah, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me, Cheryl. It was lovely. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, 
join your local public library and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.